in the text for the day, which is taken from Isaiah's prophecy. By the way, Isaiah might as well have been a New Testament prophet because of all he says that really comes to life and becomes visible in actions in the life of Christ. But uh, I want to focus on what he says uh, in the uh, seventh verse there of Isaiah. I, I uh, have trouble, and I, excuse me for a minute, I want to read this version because I've memorized the other one. And uh, I, sh I have shied a little away from this Bible because I don't have s magnifying glasses, just reading glasses. Quite small. Let me let me just uh, be sure I read uh, the translation that's here. This is a passage about the Savior, speaking of him prolifically before he arrives on earth, obviously, because Isaiah lived in the uh, 7th century BC. So there were many hundreds of years to come before Christ arose, arrived on the earth. But it's this, uh, this repeating, in a way, repeating theme of Isaiah where he keeps going back to who Christ will be when he arrives and who he is because he's the eternal Son of God, uh, even though he is yet to arrive. So I want to just look at that ninth uh, chapter and uh, verses... Six and seven. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and, and this is the focus I'd like to have us on today for a bit, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end in all the earth. Uh, he will be on the throne of David and over his kingdom. He will establish it with justice and righteousness from this time forth forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will produce it. In other words, peace, everlasting peace produced by not us or even the kind of gifts and abilities he may give to us, ultimately, it's the Lord's doing. Jesus made a big deal of this on the eve before he was crucified. He had a long time with his disciples to prepare them for what was coming. Uh, they had been listening to him for a number of years, three years, it seems, if you put the Bible, or at least put the, the Gospels together and look at what it tells us about when he called his disciples, uh, what he did with them and showed them of himself and then eventually was crucified. It seemed to be about a three-year period. And they had been watching him. They had been listening to him. They had seen him do mighty works, only works that God could do. Jesus said of them, they are signs for you. They're like signposts. They should alert you to who I am and uh, that in the light of what the Old Testament, their Bible, the Torah, said that I would be. <clears throat> and Jesus did these things. For instance, if you take John's Gospel and look at John's Gospel, uh, 
right at the outset, chapter 2, Jesus goes with his disciples, at least those he had called up to this point. He goes to a wedding feast. His mother was there, maybe she made the invitation, who knows? He was there with some of his disciples, and they ran out of wine. Now, their weddings and our weddings are quite different, and theirs could last a week. And people would come from all over. It was a very special event, of course. And Jesus is coming <clears throat> with a few extra men. Maybe that's why they ran out of wine. I don't know that. It's not in the text. But you wonder if that, there's some reason. And his mother takes over. And she says, she goes up to him and says, they have no wine. And this is curious. If you ever come across an answer for this, give it to me. Uh, he doesn't say, oh, well, I understand your feelings, you have a heart for these new, newlyweds, you don't want them to be embarrassed. No, he didn't say any of that, which I thought he might have said. He said, what have you to do with me, woman? I find that a very curious statement, and I'm still working on it. <laughs> but anyway, uh, he tell, she tells him, <coughs> excuse me, she tells him, again, of this perplexity, this difficulty, and uh, he orders the, the servants, really, to take seven of the, or six or seven of those stone uh, containers. They were large, they were for washing your hands before eating. They were for a lot of things. He said, fill them to the brim, and the servants do. And then he says to the servants, now pour one out. And when they pour it out, it's not water. You just put water in. 180 gallons, I think, if you figured it out. And he tips it over, and it's wine. All wine. But the interesting thing is that uh, he, tells, uh, he tells the disciples to be quiet about this, but John comments on writing. He usually writes it years later when he writes, uh, when he, uh, writes his gospel. Uh, and he makes a comment, and he said, this is the first sign that Jesus did, and he did it at a wedding. Now, the implication is that if you follow all that Jesus is told, we're told that Jesus does in the Gospel of John, I think we are free to believe they're all signs. They're all signs of what is to come. I think to a degree, uh, God did that here among us as a congregation. And I'll tell you what I mean. When, when Jesus changes water to wine, what has he done? He's changed the nature of a thing. Water is not wine. It's the nature of it is different. And Jesus has come into the world to transform our human nature. He came into the world that we might be born all over again. Not like the old man who's going to die, but with a new life a new future, a new destiny, his destiny, to live forever. Now, if you continue on in that second chapter where you uh, are told the story into the third uh, about the change of water to wine, it is interesting to note that John then says one of the leading men, uh, leading teachers among the Jews in that day man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he comes by night which probably if he doesn't say why but if you think about it 
uh, Jesus was beginning to be looked at askance by the leaders, by the priests, by the, by the authorities in, 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 in Israel. They didn't know what to make of him. But somehow this man who's a top teacher wants to ask him a question or two. But he doesn't want to be shunned by his friends. Uh, and maybe didn't want to be embarrassed to admit there's something he didn't know. So he comes to Jesus and he starts about uh, the fact that Jesus' reputation, shall we call it, has gotten to him. Jesus has been doing this, that, and the other things that you can't explain. Uh, the absolute miracles. And, uh, and Jesus, and he comes and says, nobody can do these things, this is Nicodemus, unless God is with them. So he got that much. We got that much. And then Jesus moved right into the issue that he just showed about in the wedding. Changing the nature of the thing. Water into wine. And he says to this top teacher, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot see it. He's blinded to it. This is only available to faith. It's only available to those who believe. It's only available to those he has received. That's what he's really telling Nicodemus. Not all in what he said, but in what he implied and what he does go on to say, not only in John's gospel, but in all the gospels. And so when he comes to that last night, he's going to be arrested that night. He will end up on a cross the next day. He will be put in a tomb that night, next night. That's all before him, but at this point, Jesus is with his disciples and they've just had the last supper. They've just ate, eaten the Passover supper together. And in that, at that time, he, I think in a way we could say he uh, summarizes his ministry. He, he, he reminds them of what he's been doing and teaching and he doesn't want them to, them to lose this. Why? Because they're going to be... Uh, his spokesman. They're going to go into the world with his message. And so I think he just says to himself and tells the disciples, let me sum it all up for you. Let me tell you what I've been telling you, but let me put it all together for you. I'm going to be gone. I'm leaving. But you know where I am going. Now, that was provocative because they didn't know where he was going. And, the, and one of the disciples says that. We don't know where you're going. Tell us where you're going. Uh, well, he says, uh, I, I am going to the Father. I'm going to your Father. And he says, uh, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Uh, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and I'll receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. That's how he starts out that night. Assuring them that when he tells them that he is going to be crucified and die, that he is going to accept the cross, he's not going to fight it, he's going to yield to it, that when that happens, they need to know that he knew it was going to happen, and it's okay. It's okay. And it's going to be okay for you. Why? Because I'm going to prepare a place for you. The reason I'm going to this cross, the reason I'm going to be crucified, the reason I'm going to uh, go through this horror is because you would if I didn't. That's what he's really telling them. I'm not a sinner. Jesus came into the world uh, with a human nature only derived from his mother, not from his father. He is human in the very 
fullest sense of the word, but he's human because he was born of woman. Actually, if you read the text in a Hebrew context, I'm talking about how you would translate the word. When it says born of, of woman, it's really the verb, that word that translated born, is a kind of complicated Greek word that really means you became out of woman. You see, Jesus didn't start with birth like we do. He started never. He always was. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made by Him. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. And the life is the light of men. And then it says, all things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. So here he is with his disciples on the last night, preparing them to enter into his experience in, in the sense of uh, what he has deep down and stabilizing him, which is his peace. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. My peace I give unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let them neither be afraid. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house there's room for you if it were not so i would have told you but i go to prepare that place for you so uh, in this christmas season really uh, the, the the celebration is on an ironic thing he was born to die he came into the world already doomed but it wasn't his doom he was experiencing, it's our doom he was receiving and burying. Our sinfulness, uh, owing our life to God and needing to pay for it with our life. The wages of sin is death. He says uh, to his teaching his disciples one way or the other, I came into the world to take that death to myself. I don't own my life. I don't need to pay the wage. It's not something impressed upon me. My father sent me into the world. He sent me into the world because I had the one, I was the one man in history who could reverse what was done in the, in the God of Eden. I was the one who came into the world with no sin. I didn't owe my life. Adam didn't until he sinned, but then he owed it and he died. But this is the second Adam who comes into the world to bear the guilt and pay for the sins of the second human, of, of the human race and give us a second chance in Christ. So when you go back, that may be a long way around to get to the point that, that when you get to that Isaiah passage, it just is very interesting when it says uh, about him coming 700 years in the future, Jesus is going to be born. Uh, but when he comes, what he is going to do is establish permanent peace on earth. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end in all the earth. And if I were to try to sum it up, so to say, and help us to see this, I guess what I would say is that something you and I can't see with our eyes, because this world does not look very peaceful. And those who profess to report about the world don't call it very peaceful. But we have good reason to believe 
that there's something else going on that you can't see with your eyes. And I can't either, but I can see with my faith. And my faith tells me that this world is heading in the right direction. It tells me that everything, not something, everything works for good for those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. These are claims that come not from men hoping, but from God doing. He created this peace. It's his peace. And as we said that night, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. My peace I give to you. Just a personal testimony on this. And it's repetitive for many of you, but, but I think I'll share it. I was 12 years old. I know that because I was going to 8th grade, and that was my 8th grade year. The grade schools in Ipswich all combined at the junior high level. I don't know how it works all today, I haven't kept up with everything. But in that time, the three, private, the three public schools and the private school, or the, uh, the uh, uh, St. Stanislaus School, uh, we all came together in the 8th grade as one class in high school. So that's why I remember this so well, because it was kind of an exciting time. It's one thing to be a grade schooler. It's another thing to go to the high school level where when you play football, you have a uniform. Uh, when, you, when, you, when you play on the team, you travel. It's, it's a different world than the grade school. And I was kind of looking forward to it. And if you go to Ipswich and you want to know where the old school is, go pay your taxes. Because that's now the town hall. And uh, so when you go down there, there's a street you cross called County Road. And I was about halfway across County Road with a friend. He was a freshman giving me all the scoop I needed to know. He knew everything. And he was telling, and I wanted to learn everything. And I got in the middle of the road, and I never said this to him, but all of a sudden I had this sense of dread come over me. No reason. I was excited. I wanted to go. I wasn't afraid of it, but this sense of dread came. And it was strange. I couldn't explain it. There was no reason I could see. And from that time, for nine more years, every time I was alone with my thoughts, not if I was talking, not if I was here, not if I was doing something, not if I was in the movie, not, not, only alone, that sense of angst or dread came over me. It wasn't severe, but it was real, and I felt it, and, and it was inexplicable. Until a day in the army when I did something that I should have been in jail for, and the sergeant major of my battalion called me in to face the colonel, the battalion commander, and I knew I was, school, I was, I was doomed because I had done it and I had to go, there was nothing I could do about it. I, I was foolish and the army is not merciful. They don't operate on grace. They operate on the uniform code of military justice and they are very serious about that. And I certainly had been in the Army three years then, so I knew it. And I went over to face the music, and I went in, and the Sergeant Major in front of the battalion commander, the colonel, has got this paper in front of him. And he's reading, he doesn't look at me, I'm standing there at attention. My legs were just about ready to give out. I knew what I had done, and I thought the police are going to be there, the MPs are going to take me to my court-martial, and I'm gone. Could have happened. But anyway, I'm standing there at attention. And uh, he put the paper aside. I can still see it in my mind's eye. And he put it there and he said, is that true? 
And I said, yes, Sergeant. I expected him to say, to say, well, you're going there. He's waiting for you. That's what I thought. He's, and in fact, I put the paper there too soon, because I remember this. He then put the paper over there and he said, I want you to get out of here, and I never want to see you again. Well, this is the second time I said, yes, Sergeant. <laughs> no arguments for me. I didn't about face and I left. Now, on the way over from the guard shack, it was on guard duty, I knew what I had done, I knew what I was facing, and I was really scared that I would spend the rest, how many years in a prison. And I didn't know God then. I mean, I was in a common grace home, I was a wonderful home. People went to church, I'm not sure what they really believed, but uh, the, the, the preaching was not really biblical. As I look back, it was very helpful in many ways. <clears throat> but I certainly was, I, I was, not in trouble all the time. This was about the first time I ever got any trouble and even serious trouble. But when you're in the army and you're in trouble, they have such a thing as a foxhole prayer. You don't know where it's going, but you're sending it up as fast and as, as, as seriously as you know how. And I had uttered one of those foxhole prayers on the way over. If you are there, if somebody is there, if, if, if. You, and you want to save somebody, you got a good candidate. I, I, I qualify. And so, when I said yes, Sergeant, I went out his door, I crossed the corridor, I went down the, to, I stepped on the front step of the battalion headquarters, and a peace settled over me. And I heard, you have to just believe me, because it wasn't out loud, I heard it in me somewhere. You asked me, and I just answered you. And that dread never came back. And I'll tell you what I figured out finally. I didn't figure it all out that day or the next year probably. What you did, Lord, was you made me feel my guilt before you. And when you just took it away in my Savior, you took it out of me. And so you set me up to preach the gospel for all my life. That Christ came to bring peace on earth goodwill to men and it's ever increasing no matter what we think we see it's the truth is that uh, the peace of god is ruling the world we're in today and you and i are free to believe that all things work together for good for those that love god and are called according to his purpose let's pray father we thank you for this time to celebrate your son's birthday, Father. And Jesus, we do thank you for your amazing grace, your great grace. We pray that uh, uh, we will be able in the uh, course of life to experience more and more the peace you offer. And uh, may it work out that others in their lives might be attracted by it and might hear your voice through it and might find that peace themselves. Well, that's why you've left us here in the world to bear testimony to Jesus Christ, and that we seek to do in his name. Amen.